Okay, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Nicks? This is Mark Marin. This is WTF. Thank you for tuning into my show. Eliana Douglas is on the show today. And what a definitive person she is and actress. But she's one of those people where you know, like right when you hear her talk, you're like, oh, that's uh, that's that that's that person. Very uh, exciting conversation. So uh, get ready for that. We're also doing three episodes this week. Again, get ready for that. If you hear clicking in the background, I'm being photographed. So I'm not alone right now. So be cool. Lee Wrighton from Canada is in my garage photographing me. She photographed me at the Vancouver uh, Comedy Festival. And by the way, Will Davis, um, some comics want their money. All right. So I don't know where you're hiding, if it's in the mountains or what, but that was some bad business. All right. We want to know what happened. I'm cool because I knew good enough, well enough to get paid up front on that on that thing. Hey, all it takes is me waiting for checks for six months once. And that's not going to happen again. But uh, we'd like to know the real story, Will. But uh, Lee's down here from Canada, and she had taken some pictures of me and Brendan Walsh up there. And uh, she's doing, a, a, I think, a, a documentary on some comics, me being one of them. Perhaps, uh, who knows how it's going to go. It could be the arc of... Uh, of tragic failure. All right, I'm, I'm going to stop trying to make Lee laugh in my garage and focus on you people because that's that's the primary relationship right now. Uh, what have I got to tell you, man? Well, I saw Gravity. Okay. I saw it. It was compelling. About two-thirds of the way through, I said, well, this is just going to keep happening. It's just it's going to be a number of situations in space where I'm going to be going, oh, fuck, come on. Just, oh, can you just, oh, fuck. Oh, okay, good, good, good. So there's a lot of that. You know, they, there's a lot of that in space. Oh, come on, Sandra, come on. You, oh, shit. Are you fucking kidding me? Okay. All right, good, good. All right, we're, we're in now. We're in the thing. Okay, there's some buttons. Oh, oh, buttons. Oh, my God. I hope she figures out those buttons. Okay, good, good. Oh, no. Is she going to die? Oh, no. I'm not going to do any spoilers, but I'll tell you, I had no idea what uh, flying space shrapnel could do to a guy's face. That was one of the highlights, is uh, just exactly what a, a hurling piece of, uh, of satellite fragment can do to a guy's head. I'll, I'll leave it at that. And if you haven't seen the movie and that's not enough to sell it, and that's really a, a minor detail. George Clooney, good, always good. I, you know what? I love George Clooney. Is that, does that make me a bad person or does that make me just a person? How can you not love George Clooney? All right, you got to be wrong-minded to not love that movie star. What else is going on? I, I'm I'm fantasizing, actually, about uh, about getting down to ground zero, uh, not ground zero, you know, nine eleven ground zero, but ground zero, Mark Marin ground zero. I'm thinking about I'm thinking about taking away all the stuff. All right, I'm talking like, let's get rid of the coffee, let's get rid of the nicotine, let's ride that out for a few days, let's sweat it out. I mean, this is a good time to do it. I'm alone. I can't, uh, you know, I can't take it out on a person. My cats will probably get a little bit of the edge, but so I get rid of the, get rid of the caffeine, get rid of the nicotine, get rid of the sugar, just go full out. Maybe go on a cleanse of some kind. Maybe, a, is there such a thing as a, as a, uh, a cereal cleanse? Uh, maybe I'll go on a, a cleanse um, that's just puffins for three days. Barbara's puffins or perhaps some bran flakes. 
uh, and raisins. Is there a raisin brand cleanse? Just three days of that. All right, so I cleanse. I get rid of the caffeine. I get rid of the nicotine. I get rid of uh, the sugar, and we see what we get. We'll see what I am. Is anyone curious? I, you know, I am swimming in a sea of uh, reasonable stimulants, and uh, maybe it's time to fucking just. Well, you know, as you remember, some of you who've been with me a long time. The last time I tried that, I almost, uh, I came very, I almost yelled at uh, Dane Cook in my garage. People from the uh, that was like a couple days after I, I I think I'd gotten off the nicotine lozenges. I interviewed Dane Cook, and people that didn't even like Dane Cook were emailing me saying that I was a dick. So I really achieved something there. I get a lot of nice mail from you people. A lot of vinyl coming in. A lot of presents. Uh, thank you for the mixtape. There's a woman out there that sends me mixtapes, and I have, I don't have anything to play them on anymore. But I, I appreciate the effort, and they they're beautifully packaged, and they're always exciting. And uh, and and someday I will buy a cassette player and and listen to them again. I don't even think I I have one hiding somewhere. You you there's you think in your life like you know, there's got to be a cassette player around somewhere in here. Don't think so. All right, let's talk to Ileana Douglas. Ileana Douglas. Is that how you say your first name? Ileana. Ileana. Yes. yes. Did you grow up in LA? No, I grew up in uh, Massachusetts and Connecticut and New York. Really? Yeah, I went kind of back and forth. Uh, my Italian relatives lived in Queens and Astoria. Queens. Astoria. That's where I lived. Yeah. I lived in Astoria. You're kidding. No. Did you go to the bakery there? La Which one? Lagula? I don't know where I don't know where that one is. I went to I lived on 30th Avenue and 37th Street. Well, we lived, uh, well, we didn't live. My relatives lived near uh, Dit- Ditmas, mm-hmm. Ditmas Boulevard. Yeah, yeah. And, and my grandmother worked at Gertz. Yeah. Do you remember that? I was- don't know. If I didn't live there. I mean, I was there. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm imagining that it was probably a different time because I was there in the, you know, the 90s. Oh, okay. The, yeah. yeah, this was uh, when you 70s. Were, when you were a kid? Yeah. So yeah. I would go there. My grandfather was Melvin Douglas and he lived on uh, in Manhattan. And right. so I would go, I literally, I didn't know if it was like something I did wrong, but literally the day school ended, <laughs> <You'd go> with- <laughs> I, they'd ship me off <laughs> to Dittmar's, to Queens. I'd spend half, it was so disorienting because I'd spend half of the time with my Italian relatives, you know, learning mm-hmm. about like how to, you know, things fall off a truck. <laughs> And, yeah. uh, <laughs> and and how to drink scotch and yeah. stuff like that. And you, know. and go, you get to, in Dittmar's, you get to walk around, you get to look at fish markets and bakeries, and there's all kinds of real people it, sweating around you. It was great, like bread and mm-hmm. fresh bread. And like Beautiful. I said, my grandmother worked in a department store, and so there was that whole vibe of, of going to the department store. There's your grandma, hi. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I other- was actually there the summer of Sam. Really? Yeah. As well, a as a little kid, it was t- it was terrifying. Oh my god! So I would do that, and then the second half of the summer, yeah. I would go live with uh, Melvin Douglas. Melvin uh, Douglas on like an apartment, and we'd go to the theater, and <laughs> I'd have to sit at the table and converse. Like, Did he and, live in one of those big, beautiful uh, New York? The apart- greatest, really. Yeah. To to this day, it was like the you know. Like people look back on the saddest times of your life, and yeah. all all of my saddest times are so shallow. It's like, <laughs> why did they sell that? <laughs> yeah, that apartment. I could have lived there. He they, was like, I didn't realize about him is that like he was huge. He yeah, he was a huge. Like he's been in every movie. I mean, two, you two time Oscar winner, Tony Award winner. What he won the Oscar for being there? 
What did he win the Oscar for earlier? For HUD? Yeah. Uh, HUD was his first. Yeah. Uh, and then being there. And uh, those were his two. He was nominated for I Never Sang for My Father, but he, he didn't he didn't win that year. And then that was the year that actually George C. Scott won, and he, for, didn't, he didn't pick up his Oscar. For Patton? Yeah. Which I wonder where that is. Where's the, where's the Patton Oscar? Who's yeah. got it? Someone's got it. Who's Someone's got it out here. Somebody's... You'll see it at a party somewhere. Yeah. Hey, you want to see something? <laughs> <laughs> this is George C. Scott's Patton Oscar. How'd you get it? Patton Oswalt would probably have George C. Scott's Patton Oscar somehow. <laughs> Melvin Douglas, though. Like, uh, so you grew up sort of, uh, you know, under, you know, he's Hollywood royalty in a way, right? It was, yeah, so it was amazing. So I got to, you know, as I said, like half of it, I, that's why I always thought like with my career, I'm both an insider and an outsider because with my Italian relatives, we'd go to the movies and we were like, they were just regular we were like poor working people. people. Yeah, we'd be like poor people go to the movies. So and, your father's father is Melvin Douglas. Yes. And your yeah. mother's an Italian lady. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Where, where, where she comes from Queens from yeah from Queens from uh, Astoria so did your father grow up in, in Hollywood I mean did did Melvin Douglas at one time oh was, yeah yeah on, have uh, the... yeah on Sinalda Drive beautiful mansion there in fact at one time when I first came to Hollywood I was so naive I tried to go visit the house and get in and yeah a person like you know <laughs> sent guard dogs <laughs> Oh, just to look at the place? I'm Melvin Douglas's granddaughter. The guy's yeah. like, I don't give a fuck who you are. Get the hell off my property. I was like, jeez. Was it like a mansion? Oh, was it like a mansion? Yeah, it no, was. It was a, a... I don't know where that drive is. I don't know where that is. It's off of Outpost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's off of Outpost. So it, Beautiful. Is that what inspired you to, to be an actor? Was he encouraging this? Well, he's an old man already, right? By the time, well, no, I don't know. No, no. He was in his... He was probably in his 60s or 70s. And, yeah. I, you know, I would tell funny stories i mean both of my grandparents really sort of encouraged me even my my italian relatives i'd i'd pick up little stories of funny things you know because all the italian relatives are crazy and i think that's where i developed my sense of timing and yeah, storytelling yeah. from because every italian ends every story with like what they know right right hey right? oh yeah Hey, come on! Your father's got some good faults. Yeah, you know, yeah come yeah. on! <laughs> you know, like they mangle the language. Yeah, 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 yeah. They just know how to get out of a jam yeah. and you know. charm their way out. Of it. Well, that's why to this day, like people always like they say to me, "Why are you yelling?" I'm like, "That's I'm." That's how you grew up. Just Italian. It's like that's not yelling. Do you feel like you're more Italian than you are the other side? Yeah, I think so. I th I think that I spend so much time with them that I develop their rhythms and and ways of thinking. Yeah. I'm suspicious of the police. <laughs> I've got all the... I mean, it doesn't... I mean, I have the Connecticut thing, too. Yeah. I think that's why I'm so idiosyncratic. I can't really figure out... Like, what, what part of Connecticut? Uh, this was, like, um, all over uh, Old Saybrook. And, really? On, on the shoreline. The, okay. The shoreline of... You just kept moving? Of Connecticut, yes. Yes, once we... Uh, once they found out about it. <laughs> <laughs> why was... What was with all the moving? It'll all be in the book. Oh, Marsh. really? The book's no. coming out? Yeah. No. That'll be, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll write about it. No, it's all, all good. Very interesting uh, upbringing. Yeah, well, well, that's uh, that sounds like just uh, something we should avoid entirely for a conversation. Yes. <laughs> no, I, come I, on. I, what, what happened? So, what? It was all going so well. Uh, no, did we, I, that's where I grew up. That's where I grew up. <laughs> that's it? <laughs> that's it. All right. Uh, that's all right. it. What about Massachusetts? Massachusetts is great. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. How do we just take a, a left turn 
Not the most interesting part of the story. Well, now you know what it's like to date me. That's what. Uh, that's exactly what. We're, that she, chunk of time. She just shut down. Now what happened? It's all going so well. Can't talk up, about her career forever. I brought up one thing. <laughs> just, just, she moved a couple times, and now I'm, I'm I'm standing outside in the cold here. What the fuck happened with this girl? Where'd you live in Massachusetts? Uh different parts oh my god different cities really yeah. on the run on the run all right yeah secrets we're yeah. only as sick as our secrets yes Eliana. i like i like that it's good <laughs> to have a little mystery it's good to have where so when did you uh where'd you end up going to school and stuff when did you start doing the uh acting thing well i i, I was in new york i mean listen my whole goal growing up was like i was going to go to new york so like no matter what yeah that was like as soon as i was old enough i mean if we had a field trip i used yeah. to actually seriously contemplate like <laughs> getting, how i could not getting back on the bus yeah i would like lived in a fantasy world of like i would i would actually think that like, but because your grandfather was there you knew about the yeah, city it was I, just knew, thing. I was like this is only a matter of time yeah like, you gotta I, go there like right? why wouldn't i n not want to live with really wealthy people on Riverside Drive <laughs> where there was a doorman and yeah. you know it was like the world I don't know there's this movie called The World of Henry Orient but mm -hmm. like that was sort of the growing up period you know there was like famous people around all the time I had my own room it was like all things I did not have in my own house. who were some of the famous people I mean Cary Grant and stuff like that or older generation like were there old Hollywood Myrna Loy really yeah lots of writers mm -hmm. people you just know, socializing Gore Vidal Gore Vidal hanging out talking at your yeah. grandpa's house yeah over dinner Gloria Steinem that's crazy yeah Gloria Steinem so this was the New York intelligentsia coming to uh, you know the old actor's house a lot of politicians mm -hmm. you know people in the newspaper business uh -huh. uh, people that had worked in politics. So it was almost like a, a sort of a intellectual salon of some exactly, kind. And exactly. And people were always hanging out. Always. And then I would, you know, I'd try to get up one of my like little funny stories about like the cans or <laughs> or something. Come but, to the can bit, Ileana, do the can thing. Yeah. yeah. But it was always like this, you know, going from again, like the immigrants right. thing that we'd always had to perform there too. Mm -hmm. But then with my grandfather, it was like, you'd have to, after dinner, it was like being in the seagull or something. Really? Like, you <laughs> it was more of the read a poem. Curtains or, opened. Yeah. Oh, so there was sort of like, a, everyone's sort of resting after dinner. And yes. it's like, what, who's yes. going to talk or entertain us now? Exactly. Like, oh, my God. You were kind of like, if you didn't have something interesting to say, like, you just better shut up. And that know? was very compelling to you? I mean, that world? Totally. I mean, they were talking about the movies and yeah. the movie business. And, yeah. um, and they all, um, there was a lot. I mean, and for me also, anything with like food and servants. And <laughs> I was like, who wouldn't want to live this? <laughs> who wouldn't want to live this life? But come on, your heart was in the trenches with the shovel, right? I mean, well, yeah. that's that was the that was the dichotomy, like where the loyalty, like who am I? That's why it took a, it took me a long time to kind of uh figure out like put both halves together really yes they were fighting each other for a long time absolutely yeah how did that manifest itself though i mean like did, what, did you have friends you know in the uh the working class world and then you yes know, who it, were like who the fuck are you yes it really? to totally it was like i realized it was like a real pattern of uh, uh of of diversity i mean you know my italian grandfather was a welder right and went to you know went to work every day and had a lunch bucket and sure it was just it's a you know it's a completely different uh, style of living to see someone come home covered with grime and oil and yeah 
you know, working on a bridge or mm-hmm. something like that. and then, Doing you know, real work. Right. And then turn on the ball game and open yeah. a beer and right. have meatloaf. And, yeah. and, and I felt really comfortable in that environment. Yeah. But then I also felt really uncomfortable in an environment where there was like a bell and a servant and- <laughs> That's crazy. You had your own well, room. I guess who wouldn't feel comfortable in that environment because it feels like you're you're at a palace. Yeah, I mean, I remember the day my grandfather said to me, "They've invented this thing. It's going to change everything. It's called the Walkman, and it was gigantic. <laughs> like it was the first, and I still have it to this day. It like, change everything, the, you know. And they'd given it to him as a present on mm-hmm. on being there. Yeah. And and also he was telling stories about, you know, Roman Polanski. And these are all like, you know, I wanted to be in the movies. Sure. So, so well, how, well, who, who was it was, who was giving you flack, you know, on the, on the other side? You know, like, I mean, did your grandfather, you know, grandfather, the welder say like, that's no job for, you know, that kind of stuff? <laughs> well, I do remember like my brother wanted to be a painter and yeah. then my cousins would always go house painter. That's a good, li-. he's yeah, like, right, yeah. no, no, an artist, like yeah. a painter. And they'd go, dead what, dead what are you fucking... Yeah, what is that? Dead, dead silence. Well, that's the interesting thing is that, you know, the, the working class, they, they're very practical. And yes. they just it's not even that they're ignorant necessarily. It's just this is their life. This is what we do. This is how we work. Mm-hmm. The, the other stuff, it's not, it's not so much. A, it's, I don't feel, it never feels like ignorance to me. It just seems like this is what we do. This is, right. this is, what, we, this is what we are. Yes. There's an identity thing to it. There might be a little ignorance, but it's not It's not aggressive, I don't think, all the time. No, it's a... Well, I think that, again, the immigrant mentality is to be suspicious of your neighbors and to, to hang together. Yeah, and know. to try to get by and to pass and to yeah. work and, and make a living for your family and the community. That's why, like, you know, you have 10 brothers and sisters mm-hmm. and one of them's a welder, one of them, you know... right things fall off a truck <laughs> like you, you try to spread out you have this your... one memory of something falling off a truck what fell off a truck oh god that was like well they used to say uh in those days you'd say like somebody was out college or something that right. was always like what? you know well i mean i remember i'd grow up you know when i grew up i was like they i i would say to my grandmother like didn't you say that uh you know uncle so-and-so uh like he worked at a prison she was like no, he was at a prison. <laughs> like, in we, prison. We just told you that when you were young. I was like, oh, okay. That's hilarious. So when you did Goodfellas, you could actually identify these people. Oh, yeah. To, I mean, I knew. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I immediately recognized, like, uh, you know, all, all, all of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my grandmother, in fact, like, you know, when I- You when became I, one for the part. Yeah. I mean, yeah. well, you know, I, I mean, yeah, Marty recognized that. And, uh, you know, my grandmother would make, uh, you know, she used to make- lasagna yeah, and stuff yeah. for me and we'd still i'd still have to go to you know like if i remember one time i made a lasagna yeah for for marty and i yeah. used all the stuff from yeah. Astoria. oh you followed oh yeah really you did yeah. you went shopping there and got oh, the yeah. real shit yeah i had to get all the what did you say did you like it well the first one apparently someone stole there was like a big controversy on the set yeah, somebody took it. Took and, your lasagna? Yeah. The so, whole tray? Yeah, so I had to make another one. And then the second one I didn't actually make because I was like, I can't. it was so hard. <laughs> so, so hard I had, to do the My first grandmother one. actually, like, it was sort of, I cheated. My grandmother made the second one because I was like, I, I, like how am I going to whip up it? It took everything I had yes. to make the first one. Yes, and it was like the pants. So she covered the second one. And did he like it? 
Oh my God! Really? Yes, he did. Was that what? Is that what changed your relationship? Was that a turning point? Well, I was a pretty good that in my knowledge of obscure Mel Brooks records, and uh, <laughs> that's what did it. Yeah, pretty much. The lasagna and Mel Brooks records. It was like, how do you know all these comedy routines? Well, let's let's get let's get to there though. So yeah. So you went to high school in a lot of different places, or did you? Yeah, a lot of different places. Oh my god! So it's almost like you're a military kid because of this weird thing that you're not talking about. And so then I went to. um, Now I went to New York when I was 17. So like, boom! As soon as I could. You got an apartment, or you lived with your grandfather. What happened? I was um, I was going to be living with my grandfather. Right. I was living with my grandfather, and then unfortunately passed away. And uh, at the at his uh, one of his memorial services, I yeah. I negotiated with. See, this is the Italian part. Mm-hmm. Then mm-hmm. I negotiated with several different relatives <laughs> a place to live. A place to live. And where'd you end up? I ended up at an uncle's house on the uh, Upper East Side, right near. There's a comedy. Cl- I think it's is it Catch a Rising Star or something. Yeah, that was up on Second in the eighties. That's there's right. A- yeah. That's, okay. Okay. That was my first. New York apartment, and I was, and the I remember the first thing I did seventy eighth, I think it was seventy six, yeah, because there's another one up there too. There's the comic strip that's in the eighties, and Catch was you know a little lower. I think it was Catch Your Eyes uh-huh. and Star because I remember see, looking out and seeing like, oh, that's yeah, <laughs> try to play. That's whoever. a good sign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's and, comedians on the street. That's good. Yeah, it seemed like exciting. Yeah, sort yeah. of like being in show business. It was exciting. What year was that? So that was like what in the late seventies? No, no, that 80s? was uh, eighty one. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it was still going. Yeah. It was, still, yeah it was still hot. Yeah. And so I was with this relative, and my technique was always to be invisible because mm-hmm. if I was invisible, they couldn't kick me out. Right. So I was always trying to. <laughs> so I would see her. Yeah. And she'd say, "You know, really, have you been looking for a place?" And I would say, uh, "Oh yeah, ab- oh, yeah. absolutely." Oh, it was a temporary thing. You were just yeah. supposed to be supposed to be there. A, like, was it a big apartment or? Yeah, huge apartment. Or, you know, again, I had this total resentment of like, well, why can't I stay? Like, like, like one of those big sort of classic sixes or sevens or yes. what? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. I've, I, don't, I don't think I've ever even been in one of those. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, like the first thing I did the first night, I unpacked my little stuff and, yeah. you know, and a, a day of looking around and trying to get used to, you know, go, where I'm going to go to school and everything. And I remember yellow, she had everything in the bathroom was yellow and yellow tiles. And, <laughs> you know, of course, like Peter Sellers, literally the first thing I do is like wipe my face and my hands and the towel is like <laughs> black, like pitch black. So I know from that point on, like, don't touch <laughs> not, the not, towel. Not like, for using. Dry yourself yeah, yeah. with toilet paper. And <laughs> what, How can people put those towels out? See, I always work with, <laughs> was horrified, with the, a little satin on the bottom. What are those for? I mean, do you have do you, do you have, humiliate your guests? Well, do, you have, do, you, do you have hand towels in your bathroom? Yes. See, I got I don't know. I got to do that. But they're dark. No, I know, I know. But I, like, they should be like. I always forget. Like, I'm like, I got the one bathroom here, and I'm, I always wonder. Like, if you went to the bathroom, you're gonna go in there. It's like, what towel do? I, and I'm an idiot. No, go. Yeah, go. Go to it. IKEA. Yeah. And they have these great towels that have little loops on them, uh-huh. which are great. Okay. And, and so you just put a hook up yeah. and you put the couple towels that have a loop on them and people absolutely know like, oh, oh okay, that's for that's my a, hands. That's for my hands. I did, what did I see you on in, in Ikea? Um, well, that's my show, my easy you to do, assemble right, show. Yeah, right. For, okay. All right. For four and a half years or whatever. That yeah, yeah. Been. I watched a couple of those. Yeah, it was great. It was amazing. Yeah. It was called easy to assemble it's supposed to be the metaphor of like putting myself together have you done that uh yes 
taken me a really long time, but yes, that's that was like the fun part of doing the show. It's you like, seem good. It was it was this metaphor for like uh, putting you know disassembling myself yeah. and then putting myself back together and then realizing that the best role I never played was myself. And, oh. and although that's a catchphrase, it's sure. actually true. Wow, it's like I, I've fused finally these different elements of myself. So when you were in New York, like, uh, you know, as you know, just moving there, were you out of your mind? Yes, to totally. Because I, first of all, like the first year I spent like at different people's couches, sure. like going, I mean, I rem- I have a horrible memory of like, finally the woman came home and said like, you've, you've got to leave. And were you doing bad things? No, she just was like, this yeah. was a limited right. and thing. So, wait, how, and she was a relative or no? She was a wife of a relative. Okay. And uh, so then I called another relative, yeah. and I, re- I remember being ugh, it was a terrible memory. But I was in the payphone at the Hilton Hotel, the rain pouring down. Yeah, and yeah. I asked this person, "Can I come stay <laughs> with you?" And they really didn't want me to. But and you're they, like 17, 18. I was seventeen. Seventeen. And you were what? Were and you I was doing? in school. I was going to school every day. Where? And this was at a place called the American Academy. Downtown, or where was that? It was in Madison in the 30s. Yeah, and, and uh, was it an acting school? It was an acting school, yes. I kind of remember seeing it. Is that possible? It could be. I think it's still around. It wasn't like the world's, sorry, so academy. You, so you graduated high school and you just went to New York? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you're taking acting classes and, and, and you're working? No, no. I mean, I'm just... In in yeah. school, I've just like I've I took the train down. I yeah. was like, I got to get out of here. Yeah. I took the train down. I got in the academy. Yeah. Um. And is uh, that hard to get into? No. <laughs> I think they <laughs> I think they made it hard, but in retrospect, I think they took everybody. Yeah. The the funny thing about that experience is like, okay, not only so then I get my living situation sorted, which was right, you're, okay. So you're in the rain in, in at the Hilton, and who takes you in? I'm I'm living with a therapist oh. who How do you... who did not want me so badly that I had to live I had to sleep in his therapist office and that's again that is, is this not a family friend yes and I slept on the cou- the couch uh-huh. which was so it was creepy. saturated with everyone's problems just soaked at like you that know. and cat urine yes those uh-huh. are my like was two. He, he's an old New York therapist guy yes and I stayed on the couch and I remember like literally the first night like looking and there was pre it was like pre-Columbian which developed my crazy fear of psychiatrists pre-columbian statues and gigantic penis like looking right at me and right I there to, in the office i had to like turn like, he, he had those in the office to yes. provoke i don't know discussion. i don't know what kind of therapist was he like a freudian analysis or whatever uh, he was just a guy he was i don't know what a kind of a therapist but he wanted he you out yeah he didn't want he wanted me out and uh he it was really uh but i again i managed to like Turned, I, I just managed on. to just literally again be invisible, <laughs> and so he can if he never saw me, yeah, he never have to kick me out. And I think I managed to get through a year that way. Really, yeah, on the therapist couch, oh, like a whole a whole year. So yeah. you're going to acting class and you're working uh, hard at it, or what? Yeah, and you had friends. What did you do? Like I'm picturing, you know, you just sort of. Oh yeah, said, I never came home. I okay. mean, I found friends, and I would literally like, you know, I mean, to this day, I still have some of the same friends. Like they, they'd be like, I'd say, no, I can't go home yet. I'd like have to wait till midnight 
when he would absolutely so, be asleep. So this is 81. So what, yeah. are you partying? Are you going crazy? Are you running around New York? Is it like, I mean, I No, can... no, I was really, it was very, very sheltered. Very, mm. very like behind and, uh, but I did find friends, you know, so that, that you still have. Yes, that I still have. What do they do? Uh, they actors? One became, yeah, some of them are writers. Yeah. I, I act, some of them became writers. One of them is a pretty successful actor, Elias yeah. Kateas. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know him. I do think, oh, Brian, yeah, yeah. But is he a Canadian guy? Yeah, huh? He's That's, great. Yeah. Yeah. And when, when we were in school together, he looked exactly like Robert De Niro. So right. what's funny is that when I started doing movies like Goodfellas and working with Robert De Niro, he was like, how do you have my life? Like, I was like the clown. My only goal was to go to Hollywood and be on a sitcom. Right, That's right. all I wanted to do. This guy's great. Yeah, he's great. And he's Wonderful. your buddy? Yeah, I used to do his laundry for him. Really? Yeah. He would not let me do his underwear. I always remember that. Was <laughs> well, like, guys, you know, it's like you got to be married, you know, to have somebody, you know, to be that comfortable. We were all just like living on like how to live on a dollar a day. Uh-huh. That was like our whole. Oh, another one. Wonderful... he was in class with you, though? Yeah. Another wonderful actor, uh, Lou Mastillo, who's mm-hmm. on a show, the Mike and Molly show. Uh-huh. Took him kind of a long time but to get accepted. He and I, the first year. We're not asked back. That mm. was like after at the American Academy. Yes, we uh, my the the you you went through all these. You know, you did your final right. scenes or whatever. Yeah. which I always thought was so funny that they called it your final. Yeah, <laughs> your final. <laughs> this your is final it. Scenes. After this, it's over. And uh, again, crazy story. But on my way to work, I saw on my way to class, I saw Lee Marvin walking down the street, and. I, I couldn't believe it because Lee Marvin was in the first movie I ever saw as a child. That was which like, one? It was uh, Paint Your Wagon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and it was I so I developed like a Lee Marvin kind of obsession. <laughs> yeah. That and the fact that like growing up in Connecticut, we only got one channel, right? And the only movie that seemed to be on was The Dirty Dozen, right? So at, it's one of those things. It was like okay. I, I guess I have to watch it and get into it because it's like it's the only thing you have. Right. So you watch it again and again. Right, right. And there is Lee Marvin. Yeah. So I figured it's some sign and I stopped him and I talked to him and he was very nice to me. He said, if you have half as much energy on stage as you do in real life, you ought to do fine. Kiss my cheek. I was like, oh my God. Lee I'm Marvin. Dream- I'm dreaming. He was like a heavy man. He was great. And he's into e- he was into ESP and I was like, you're into ESP. What is ESP? Extrasensory perception. Oh, right. I haven't heard that in a while. It's <laughs> like some weird dated. That's why I get along with people who are elderly, I guess. All my references are. How do you get into talking to Lee Marvin about ESP within minutes on the street? Because I knew everything about him. I was like, that's. I read People magazine. Yeah. And, you know, like you wanted to be. A and you saw it as a sign. I saw it as a sign. I did my scene, which I thought was, you know, amazing, my final scene. And From what? Uh, it was called One Sunday Afternoon. Mm-hmm. And um, and then uh, the they had like a little presentation, mm-hmm. like a little afternoon mm-hmm. celebration. And mm-hmm. I was pretty convinced. Mm-hmm. I was like... You were it. I was in. Mm-hmm. And the president of the American Academy took my hand and said, goodbye, Ileana. And I just was like... That was it? Boy, that does not sound like good. And within three weeks, I got the envelope that said, we are sorry to inform you. You have not been asked back. Why the fuck wouldn't they ask you back? Uh, they, they didn't think I was any good. And um, I was not asked back. Lou Mastillo was not asked back. Elias was. 
Brian Markinson was. And uh, so I cooled. I saw I was like a failure at 18. I was like at 18, Ugh. total failure, and went to work for uh, Steve Rebell, which was at his hotel. The, which was probably new at that time, right? Yeah, he had just gotten out of prison. Uh, uh, he and Ian, Tra- Ian Traeger was now going in the hotel business. What was that, the Paramount? No, that Paramount was, this was Morgan's, which uh-huh. was, event. this was originally called, so 60s, the Hotel Executive. Uh-huh. And there was, um, at the time, this was like people would ha- go there to have what they called short stays with uh-huh. their secretary. Oh, really? So it was like the apartment. It was awesome. Yeah. So it was really great. There was actually a bar downstairs. So sad. I wish we like we have iPhones and everything. There was a bar downstairs. It was actually called the quiet little table in the corner. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, so or it was, it where was, to take your it was secretary. Primarily made for like daytime trysts. Yes. So huh. that's all it was made for. It was made And for, it was popular? Uh very popular. Wow. Yes. And um and I when I went there, I was like I just decided I would reinvent myself and go to a new acting school and start all over again. What school? I went then I went to the neighborhood playhouse and it was like a hundred and eighty degrees different than going to the academy. That's just when in, like in, I really found myself. In the way they structured the workshops or how they worked? Yeah, everything at the academy I was not I just couldn't fit in. Everything I did was wrong. I was always berated. They didn't like too uh, much personality or what? Yeah. That was always, you know, that was you're sort of you're sort of uh, you. Yes. And it was always like, uh, you know, they would pick me to be in plays and everything, yeah. but then they would, you know, like, for instance, a criticism I got, I was doing a, a, a play with Elias Kataeus called mm-hmm. The Runner Stumbles about mm-hmm. a priest who gets involved with a parishioner. And you're not, you weren't supposed to applaud in class. Yeah. And we did this thing and everybody burst into applause. I knew it was really good. Yeah. And the teacher was like, quiet. And then she said, Ileana, you walk through your imaginary wall at the beginning of that. So I, after that, I just didn't believe anything. Why don't you take a seat? So fucking, it was that kind of stuff. But that's, but that's such fucking acting teacher ego bullshit. It's like, know. you know, they've got this system. They want to pound people down. And if people can put up with the pounding and still transcend with their own you know, craft or personality, then they win. Right. But they pick on vulnerable people, you know, to sort of like, ex- you know, exert their dumb ego power over you. Right. So that was like what I got a lot of like, you know, I got a lot of criticism. And so then when I decided to go to the Playhouse, yeah. it just was like a completely different experience. And I still had issues there, too. Yeah. You know, my acting teacher gave me uh, his name is Richard Pinter. And he said, you're he said, you're a I don't know if you're aware of this. He goes, but you're a pervert. He goes, you're a true pervert because you pervert your feelings. Mm. You put a joke over your feelings because you're so afraid. Yeah. Like, just, what are your feelings? Like, you know, just, just, just Uh do the, you know, just, just do them. And Uh that, that was like a crushing kind of a humiliation for me where I almost had an inability to, I, I couldn't do it. You know what I mean? So like he, uh, I, he, they sort of trained me to not put a spin on the repetition. So they conditioned you to say like, no, no joke. No, yeah. it's a joke. Yeah. Stop. 
What are you doing? Yeah, because I would think I was afraid that if I couldn't do the joke, I'd never get it back somehow. What the feeling or the, the like the ability to be the jo- the the joker? Right. I was right. like, well, underneath it is all sadness and yeah. pain. You know, like you won't like. What if it all goes away? I was like, nobody wants to see sadness and pain, but like they do. Of and course they do because it's real. So once it's like I got to the real truth, like the essence, I was like. Okay, now you can build a kind of upon that. And then the other thing was he would always say to me, you know, dare to be dull because you're not dull. Like your wor- my worst fear was that I would not be entertaining somehow. So I had to learn that me walking in a room was already entertaining. Right. I didn't need to put. You're compelling no yeah. matter what, just standing there. Yes. It's hard to realize that when you, if you're not joking, you're not talking, that you're not invisible. Yeah. And you were somebody that tried to be invisible. Yes. And so one of the things he used to do to me, which was, again, like really intense, boy, is a, I, uh, was another thing with me he didn't do with other people. I could not, he used to put me against the wall mm. and I would not, I'd have to put my hands behind my back. It is one of the most vulnerable things for somebody who wants to be funny. Yeah. Is your back against the wall and you have an inability to move your arms because suddenly you're just totally... Yeah. Open and yeah, vulnerable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. be shocked. Did you it. cry? Oh God, I was. I was like, the problem with the playhouse is, I just never stopped crying after the playhouse. <laughs> like it just, <laughs> like part of my fears were accurate. I never stopped crying after right. after that. It was but like do, it opened a well, you know. Yeah, but that is that. Like you know, a lot of people like there's different approaches to things. Like this is sort of old school. You know, to, you know, to do Meisner, you know, to connect your feelings to the authenticity of the scene and all that. Yeah. Because like then like, you know, David Mamet set up a school years later, which is antithetical to that, that, you know, that there's like, there's very different approaches to acting. I mean, I've I've always romanticized the approach that you took. Yes. And I know people that took like Mamet school where it's just all very pragmatic and, you know, just, you know, show up for the line. Right, you know, and 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 be authentic in the line, but it's not about you know ripping out your heart. Yeah, I I disagree, and you know, David Mamet went to the neighborhood playhouse, so yeah. I and obviously he was so guarded. Right, <laughs> it's, it's my opinion that he he took repetition and turned it into a screenwriting career. I mean, his whole thing is repetition, right? Because it is interesting what happens. Uh, after repetition, but I know, f- you know, for some reason, for whatever his rhythm is, he wants it, you know, which is cool. That's his thing as an artist. He wants it to be very flat and that you just hear the words. I, in my, I, I just don't like that kind of, you know, acting. Well, yeah, I admire but, it. It's technical. I guess, but you know, I've always noticed, I mean, the guys that come out of that, I mean, some of them are great actors, but I mean, I guess the argument is, like for somebody like Mamet, and I'm projecting onto him, you, you know, somebody who's a fan but also has a problem with him as a personality, is that he figured out a way to to justify his own sort of you know emotional insulation, you know, through this aggression. Yeah. That was you know like he was. It seemed to me that he was literally fighting the idea of we don't have to tear ourselves apart, you know, to find this art. Do you know what I mean? We don't have to be that vulnerable. Well, again, that's the classic. That's the Lawrence Olivier, Dustin, Dustin Hoffman, Hoffman story. Thing. Yeah, I, yeah, I get that. You know, but, but I. But he was gifted though. But that that whole story though, Olivier was obviously you know gifted beyond classical method. You yeah. Know, that, you know the people that, that that pay lip service to sort of like these two different schools of thought is like actors are innately 
you know, uh, emotional people. Yeah, I, yeah. Don't, I don't buy that shit that you just, you know. That, that it's, it's just a, a technique. No, no, I know. He probably wants to, you know, make it seem like it, he wakes up and right, has right. this thing. But I'm sure, he wor- I'm sure he worked on it very hard. And again, that's somebody who, like, in that marathon man, you know, who spoke very quietly. And it was one of the most terrifying things ever. Oh, so yeah. he had something obviously going on. He made some serious choices. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah. then the once you learn repetition, which yeah. you do for a year. Yeah. Once you do that, then you put on it uh, what they call preparation, which is something has hap- something has occurred to you that you bring into the scene. Mm. Um, for instance, we your preparation today, like we met. I put my clothes on. You you, you <laughs> thought I you thought I you was, know, a, was an hour late. An hour so that's early. your an hour early. Yeah. So that's your. Right. That's a, oh, okay. That's good. So that's, that's good. called preparation. Right. And, that, and, and that's you just work with that. So the scene began truly when the door opened. Right. And now you don't know what's happened to me. Furthermore, like what if I was like in the car over? What if I just found out I won a million dollars? Right. That's my preparation. Right. What if I just- We're got, lost or-, or Exactly. Right. Um, a- any of the things that happened to me right before that door opened, that's my preparation. Right. So, but, but without living truthfully under the given circumstances, uh-huh. which is number one, number two is the preparation. Uh-huh. You layer on that. Uh-huh. And then the third thing you layer is your, your, your opinion and what you want, like what you want out of this. Uh-huh. Like today, today, right. like today, universally, we, we probably want the same thing. Yeah. To talk. Or, yeah. Yeah. Or or it could be that like you wanted to go quickly because right. you want no. somebody right. I guess. Yeah. Usually, all scenes at the playhouse ended with <laughs> I want to go to bed with you. Oh really? Like that was it. Always would end up in either like because once you get, I mean, to me, that's my theory of like why so many actors sleep together. Yeah. Because you achieve this intimacy right so quickly that you want to have with someone that you're dating. Yeah. That it takes six months to achieve well i think um, that's also why a lot of actors don't last because then you have that intimacy and then over a certain amount of time you disassemble it because yeah. it's not it's authentic in the moment but it's not authentic in the life that's true and i create and the playhouse see i crave that sense of like i do everything from a place of love and yeah. truthfulness which right. is like a big meisner thing like a, you got to look at your partner with like with total love and no trust? total trust and no judgment hmm. and when For, do we do that how the yeah. fuck can you go through life like that without <laughs> well, you you know, go, being a mess well, that's what i'm saying you go really so i have found myself blindsided many many times by approaching situations uh being totally open like I, lo- I love everybody. Right, <laughs> like, it's all going to be great. Well, were you able to do, like just as somebody who is a is a comic and who addresses this, you know, the the current of sadness, yes, you know, that runs through. I mean, through acting. I mean, were you able to identify what that was? I mean, were you able it, it, at that time? I mean, I imagine it's sort of a life's work. Yeah, but I mean, like, was anyone calling you out on that? That you know, why are you so sad? Where? Why you know? Why do you feel? Yeah, I mean, in in you know that when we were in acting school, you yeah. would, I, I mean, I, I I you'd open the door and there'd people, you know, be people were crying on the steps yeah. and you know everything was getting all opened up, mm-hmm. and I love that. See, I thrived under that because it's something to work from. Right. I'd rather have a person that's messed up 
than someone who's holding it all together. Well, there's an honesty to it because they can't control themselves. Yeah. Like they've, they're, they're broken down. Right. The vulnerability to it. Yes. And, yeah. w- and one of the things like our teacher used to make everybody quit smoking. Like he wanted he everybody to be nuts. He wanted everybody to be nuts. And like, let me tell you, there were like fights broke out. There was, lots, it, you know, yeah. there was like a lot of craziness. In but the, it's interesting though, because a lot of people don't recover from that shit and a lot of people can't hack it and they won't, you know, they, they probably, I, I'd imagine the numbers of people that left acting. Yeah, you know, after they, a couple of years of that. Right. It's like, I, okay, I got problems. And, you know, acting's not going to solve it. But now I know how, how raw and deep those problems are. Well, there were people that did not like the experience of having these emotions right. opened up. David and, Mamet. <laughs> like, yeah. Probably a good example. And decided he was going to say, I went the other way. Like, I crave that. And if I don't have that, well, then you get in, then you get into the the fourth part of acting, which I always talk about, which is making an adjustment. Mm. You know, you may go to work with an actor, and you like you have your approach, and then yeah. they have a completely different approach. Like when you're working, you know, with Christopher Walken, it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, try. He's got his own approach. Yeah. You know, so what do you do in that? In that, you just have you, to stick by your thing and pretend, you, right? No, you can't pretend. You usually got to make an adjustment of some sort. What does that look like, say, for Christopher Walken? Well, like, I did a movie with him, and Griffin Dunn and I were in it, and we worked very similar, mm-hmm. and Dennis Hopper was in it, and I worked very similar to Dennis. Which movie? It was called uh, Search and Destroy. Yeah. But um, Chris just works in his own way. Like, he does his lines different each yeah, time. right. He just has his own thing. And so, yeah. you try to just get a handle mm-hmm. on him and who he is, and I know in the in the movie, he plays a, you know, he's a guy that seemingly is going to help us, and he turns out to be a killer. Right. So, you know, you make this adjustment that he could kill me at any moment, so right. I have to play along or something. Like, that would be an adjustment. That was your adjustment. Yeah. In so, order to sort of engage with this type exactly, of Exactly, so that I would be focused right. on, because we don't, you know, sometimes we, we work with people and we don't, we don't like them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Or... They turn around and they go, is she going to do it that way? Or, you know what I mean? Right. Like, I've had, you know, you've had, you, you have all sorts of different experiences. It's not always idyllic yeah. on, a, on a film set. So right. you, you also need a bag of tricks in order to cope with, you know, with, with working people, with working with people. For me, it's actually not always so easy. I like to really engage with the mm-hmm. person. That's my most fun thing i like to prepare with them i I like like to do that in life yeah i like to immediately connect with somebody in an unhealthy way (laughs) (laughs) that's it that's well that's how i mean that's how the set in goodfellas was like you could not differentiate off set and on set it was like a party the whole time it was like you know marty would quietly roll the cameras and be like okay we're going you know then you know, you go to another film set and it's not that way. It's like dead silence, total deadening of everything and action, you know. Mm-hmm. So it that those are always the hardest things for me because I like to have fun and engage. Like when we were working together, I thought that Bobcat like had a you great- You and I? Yes. Yeah. I thought he had a great, to me, like that great sense of fun. Yeah. There should not be any difference off camera, on camera. In my opinion, that's a very organic way of doing it, and, I'm, and I, I guess it's all relative to the director's vision or, or what he's thinking about. Because I guess a lot of directors, you know, actors are just part of it. Yeah. So, like, you know, depending on where that part plays and his vision of things, I mean, you might just be scenery. 
yeah to a director and he's thinking about a frame and it's like you know you just need to you know just i find so much of it is a time element that i start to get tense because if i if they're tense yeah then i'm tense and it translates over so what was the first movie where you felt this shit paid off um, like what was your first roles? I mean, I can see your, you know, film, you know, the, I can see you've been in a, you know, a lot of movies, but I mean, I imagine there must've been a moment. Was it Goodfellas where you really realized like, you know, this is. No, I mean, I didn't even know, you know, like again, um, doing movies like Cape Fear. I, I didn't really know what I was, what I was doing. I just was like approaching it head on and, you know, just trying to use everything I'd done in acting school. But I, rem- I think that when I was doing To Die For with Gus Van Zandt, he started to teach me about the camera and lenses. And we had had something had occurred um, where I had a scene where I'm talking about like, you know, that's when I knew she killed my brother and I had to start crying. And and it was, and it, we did it and it was perfect. And then he came up to me and he said, um, I had the wrong lens on the camera. Could you? Do you think you could do that again? And there's no way I could do it again. That was the beautiful organic. Right. But I was like, you don't go. No, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> that was just, it. Let's just wait until the moment hits me. Yeah. You know. And then that's when, as you have to have technique to right. replicate exactly what I had done. But but like when you work with Scorsese, I mean, you know, you were obviously, I mean. The character in Kefir was so vulnerable and so fucking, it was such a horrendous turn yeah. in that movie that, you know, her sort of need and her sort of almost kind of charming desperation and yeah. it, it, was, it was just brutal. Cl- classic Meisner technique. Yeah. De Niro and I in the bar. Cl- yeah. Classic. Yeah. Almost cl- moment to moment, like to the point that the audience is 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 insane like yeah. cringing going like does this girl not know yeah but again you give yourself given circumstances and we've all been in that you know i mean i again i think my contribution to that was yeah. my meisner technique and saying to marty and bob like i wanted to achieve like literally this girl didn't know she was in trouble until the second it was happening like even when he's putting handcuffs on her, she's like, whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think we've all been in situations like sure. that where we do not see the signs around us. What that, you want over overrides what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, that is like true terror where you're all of a sudden like, wow, okay, this car is hitting the guardrails right now. We were all drinking and having fun and, and now, laughing. Now and we're rolling. now it's like, dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, uh, you know. And I, uh, that was the thing that I wanted to achieve in, in that scene. This is like horrendously powerful. Yeah, it was upsetting. In fact, I was just in Sweden and it was like very controversial in Sweden. They cut that scene from, so I had ties early on to Sweden. Uh, they they had cut the that scene. The Swedes and couldn't handle it. They 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 they, they abhorred the violence. And uh, I remember, you know, Marty had sent off a fax, which they still have at the at the Swedish Film Institute. Uh-huh. They received a personal fax from Martin Scorsese complaining about it. And how they, dare you? How dare you cut my film? And eventually, it led to the uh, to the removal of the censorship board in Sweden. Really, mm-hmm. that scene. That scene. Yep. So when you say De Niro was, you know, he locked in. So he comes from similar training and you guys were able to sort of, he knew what was going on. You jived with him. Yeah. Like he had, I think his teacher was Stella Adler who had also, I mean, he also did actor studio. Right. But that was that whole clique in New York. Those old Jews from that time all seemed to be barking up the same tree. Yeah. 
Meisner, Adler, Strasburg. Exactly. Right. Yeah. But when I see De Niro, to me, like he is that, that's, he's doing, rep, you know, are you talking to me? That's yeah. repetition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like I was, when they were doing Goodfellas and he's doing the scene with the guy, Johnny Roastbeef, about the pink Cadillac and the girl's like, I love that car. Right, right. And he's what like, are you what, doing? Are you, what are you doing? Yeah. And I, I mean, I remember watching that scene. Yeah. And they were doing the scene and they were doing it. But, you know, the guy like uh, who came in, who yeah. wasn't really an actor. Right. It was kind of like his approach was like, I'm what? in Goodfellas. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was right. fun. And suddenly it turned into a hundred people on the set yeah. watching Robert De Niro humiliate this yeah. guy. And it became, uh, you can see in the movie. Yeah. It is, it is like real beyond belief, like where the guy is actually flush. And that's. You know, like again, that is classic Meisner technique. What starts at the top, which is the guy like, hey, yeah, coming yeah. in, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. ends with like total, you know, humiliation. And to me, um, you know, Bob is uh, one of those people that he locks in. He, you have to give him something because the, the the trick with him is that he's so intimidating because mm-hmm. he's Robert De Niro, and sometimes like that happens. So mm-hmm. you have to fight against yeah who he is, Robert De Niro, and who he is playing right. And and in the in the bar scene, that was probably you know that was my big challenge, just to forget that he's Robert De Niro. He's just he's a guy that I've met. And I'm gonna, yeah. I'm going to get you know the other guy back for yeah. right for, for jilting me right. And so I had to work really hard on on doing, it. and that's why like I did the laughing thing. And people, I mean, when I started in, it, you know, with the laughing, I mean, people on the crew and the set were like. Doing, yeah, yeah. like what the hell? Is... And Scorsese, what was he doing? Everybody was very quiet because yeah. it was like my first big thing, you yeah. know. But I just was like a fighter, and I was like, I know what I'm doing, and I had like li- I had my preparation, uh-huh. like my, yeah, that's why I say it was total technique. I knew what I was going to do. I knew why I was there. I didn't. I was not. Uh, I people thought it was very weird. Like before that, we were rolling. I yeah. was doing like my laughing, and the, uh, yeah. And so that by the time it was action, yeah. you know, we were all in sync. Like they kind of knew. Marty knew what I what I was doing. You know. Well, that seemed like a more controlled set than uh, yeah. than Goodfellas. I mean, it's um, it's like right. I mean, cause yeah, it's Goodfellas not... was like a free for all, but right. in a totally amazing, fun way because it was like twenty, thirty people on set. And you, da- you dated him? Uh, yes, yes, for uh, quite a number of years. Right. I, I knew that. Yeah. But I had to say it like that, like I didn't know it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know that, I didn't know how many years. Uh, I think about nine years. Oh, my God. Yeah, a long time. Did you almost get married? Uh, almost, almost, very and, close to and it. It'll just... all be in the book. <laughs> Did you write a book? No, I've got a, I'm in the process of not writing a memoir book, but I'm in the process of writing um, a book of like movie essays and things that are all true. About your career? About my career based on something once somebody said to me, I was to, I was uh, telling a story to, to uh, a uh, psychiatrist mm-hmm. and he stopped me and said, at this point, I have to ask you, are, are you making these things up? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was such a big thing for me. Like, I'm not there. I'm not therapy. Per- I'm like Italian. Yeah, hey, yeah, go yeah. out and have some yeah. beers. And yeah. So, like, for my one experience to go to a therapist and have them say that, I was like, okay, this is not for me. I was yeah. like, no, I'm. That not was it with you in therapy. Yeah, that was it. That was. That what was, was the story? It's crazy. It's it's too crazy. It's all I, I can't even get into it. It's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy. It was my my life post Marty 
moving to Los Angeles, yeah, which you know, uh, Marty had always said to me about L.A. Right, he'd get like a, ver- a tone in his voice, and he'd yeah. go, "Yeah, I almost died there." And I was like, I never knew what that meant. Like I was always like, you know, like my whole life was like, I'm I'm watching my life. Like, yeah. wow, this is yeah, what's happening now? Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know, like right. this is so cool. no planning. You just found yourself places. No, you know, like I always tell this story, but you know, like I was, you know, seeing Marty, and it was on the set of Goodfellas. He told me I was. He told somebody that I was his girlfriend, and I was yeah. like, oh, great, yeah, <laughs> it's good. I'll go along with that. That sounds <laughs> yeah, yeah. good, yeah. you know. So. Then it, when it ended, he told me it ended. I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'm... <laughs> no longer. <laughs> I think I'm being fired. Uh, I don't know what's happening. Yeah. So I went to California because, again, I was like, well, this is the part of the movie where the girl like goes on her own. Were you that detached from yourself? Were you, you sort of like seeing it unfold that way? Totally. <laughs> like, I still do. What are yeah, you yeah. talking about? Yeah, yeah. What's, what's yeah. The, I mean, I tell everyone. Like, yeah. when I when you have a problem in life... Pretend your life is a movie. <laughs> I'm serious. Put background music. Yeah. I'm, yeah just go, what would somebody, what would Ruth Gordon do? I, I survived my entire 20s by saying to myself, what would Ruth Gordon do right now? Well, she'd do, she'd have some moxie. That's that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She'd like, she'd say, don't cry over spilt milk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But so I went to California yeah. and I was like, just not, I did not deal with the breakup at all like i just went to la Stuffed and it. yeah i was like a problem me yeah, problem yeah, right 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 nine-year relationship blows up yeah. like come on yeah pull yourself up by your bootstraps hey, go Move to a, yeah go to la get on a sitcom yeah. get a fancy house yeah. and a pool and it just of course yeah the audience would know that that's where your life becomes a lifetime <laughs> really bad <laughs> this is where the lifetime the movie spin out Yes, the spin out. It's like, you know what? Try to find maybe the worst possible person in the universe and then marry him. And then, you know, like, (laughs) see where that takes you. Is that what you did? Yes. (laughs) Like, unequivocally. Although, who was that guy? Do I know that guy? You no, know, please. Out of the we're, business? We're not going to yeah. discuss that. Yeah. I, I've got, uh, like, I, I don't even think I'm supposed to legally discuss. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. No, I'm serious. I'm I believe you. serious. So, uh, but, Did, but Marty almost died out here because he had a, a massive asthma attack and, or what? Didn't he? No, have... I don't know. It's oh. like, listen, everything Marty said to me, and, and I have no bad feelings towards him. I, it's a wonderful person. Yeah. He's, he's the, the greatest, yeah. you know, and uh, I... You know, listen, people do things. And as you get older, he was 20 years older than yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. And so there's a lot of things that you do that, you know, you don't understand when you're younger. I, I, I mean, do, do I agree with how he handled the breakup? No, I don't. But that's my personal opinion. I, yeah. I You know, it, it's, it was 20, 15 years ago, yeah, yeah. whatever. And so many other th- great things have, have occurred. Right. I have total respect for him as a, as a person, right. as an artist and what he oh, did. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he... He said things to me that almost like cursed me because right. it was like I almost died out there, and yeah. then I was like, I'm in L.A., and it was like, yeah. yeah, I know what you mean now. Yeah, right. It's just you can die here, like yeah, that's, on a lot of levels, not physically, but every other way. I think physically too. Yeah, of like course. You, yeah, if you, you read anymore. about Los Angeles history, like, yeah, you know, a lot of actresses end up slumped over dead. <laughs> you know, right. Like you know, like Phil Hartman is dead. Yeah. Like that's yeah, you know what I mean. Like weird things happen out sure. here. You get into weird. Charles Manson, you sure, know. Sure, I get it. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a dark side to show business 
that you know it, it, i think it becomes amplified because it is show business and there's a, a a type of person that gravitates towards show business that wants to feed off of show business and yes. celebrity and a lot of times you know when you're trying to achieve celebrity or, or status in this you fall victim to some very nasty predatory shit yes and i didn't like up until that point i had had nothing negative right. really happen to me right. i mean sure i'd had scrapes in yeah, new york yeah. and stuff but i didn't have you know i, I had nothing to prepare myself for coming to la and, scary man yeah and yeah. and uh so so it was like a three-year period that was pretty pretty scary for for me and as i said at one point somebody suggested i talk to somebody about it <laughs> their response was are you making these things up so i was like okay that's not that doesn't seem helpful <laughs> and uh but you kept working i mean you know you, yeah. you 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 did a lot of stuff oh no i kept working like again throughout like some of these things that were happening to yeah. me i'd go to work and i would do things and i worked with really really famous people at the time and i would like you know and you i i would never wish that uh, craziness on on kind of anybody. I mean, like since then, I I went the opposite way to just like avoid anyone. But I I didn't have such a good radar for people that were that were crazy. But it was uh, so the the character in Cape Fear was something that you could tap into in a way that you had a vulnerability that you wanted to connect so badly, or that you what was it? I was very naive. I did not believe that bad people existed. It was not part of my makeup. It just it just isn't. It it was that like somewhere that they were good somehow, or that yeah, yeah. that is my gen that is my genuine philosophy. I have a spirit of cooperation. Yeah. That is that was what I was brought up with. And you got taken advantage of somehow. M yeah, eight times over. And then the sad thing is, like as everybody knows in Hollywood, it's not even fun or interesting. It's yeah. it's like how many times you're like, oh, it's Judy Garland, it's yeah. Al Pacino, and yeah. it's Kevin Bacon. Yeah. I have no money in my account. Yeah. How did this all happen? <laughs> you know, like yeah. it's like you can't even say that it's interesting yeah you know like you can't even cry about it because you're like uh, it's happened to s it's it is something that happens to artists you know we don't want to think about money or finances or right. life it's hard enough to fucking make it yeah right right and we're not in in our energy goes into to being creative and not having like i i, I have a tremendous lack of foresight everything's very immediate to us yeah yeah and and you know who's going to take care of that i don't know the, the guy who's going to rip you off the guy who's going to hurt you the guy yeah you never think about that all i mm -hmm. think about is like i think about the years of struggle and right. elias kataeus right. like lining up his quarters right you know what i mean yeah. like yeah, do we, yeah. you know how and, do we eat yeah yeah and so it is never part of our uh, thinking as an artist to think that somebody would take advantage of you. Maybe other people do, but I did not. I was mm. like, well, aren't, aren't we all here to make beautiful pictures? <laughs> so, listen to music. And so after this, <laughs> yeah. poetry and make love. So after the arc we're talking about, <laughs> this, the, the, yeah, that's what we're all here for. It's all, it's all beautiful. That's out right. here. It's California, baby. That's what I'm like. Uh, what do you mean? Yeah, come out to the pool. What do you mean you're taking my credit card? Like, what? <laughs> so you, you hit bottom then? Totally hit bottom. But not with drugs, just emotionally. Just emotionally and financially. and uh, Because and then, of some bad relationships yes. and yeah. bad choices. Yes, bad choices, bad. And, and, uh, and then at that point, I went back to my roots and I moved back to New York, and that's when I started like writing and kind of sort of trying to figure out who I was. 
Um, and, and it was like painful, very painful, but like, again, now I'm in a great place, but it took me about 10 years of sort of re-examining what was it I wanted to do for the second half of my career and the writing and where did the writing go? Where did the comedy go? You know, I'd started out doing stand up, Like that was one of my, and then I met Marty and I always, like I said, was not really. Where'd you start doing stand up? Oh, I only did it like one place because oh. I refused to move. <laughs> Where uh, I was, I worked out of Stand Up New York, mm-hmm. and then like a couple times, um, I you know there'd be people that I remember distinctly. One of them was Dave Chappelle, but they would go down. You know, you'd have to go downtown to the t- Boston to the Comedy Club and the Village Comedy Cellar or something. Yeah. And I was like, that seems very tawdry to me. <laughs> like, I mean, I was like, I was a girl. They, to me, like being a girl. And being a stand-up, uh, I, I found very, very difficult. Uh, you know, like you, you follow somebody like Judy Gold, and I'm like, I don't, oh, what? Yeah. Like it was, and I, yeah, I love Judy. I mean, she's awesome, and every time I see her, to me, it was like one of those, or you know, Rosie O'Donnell. Right. Do, and I was like, I can't. Plus, like, I wasn't, you know, I was not thrilled about at the time some of the comedy that the women were doing. I was like, where do I fit in in all of this? It wasn't, I thought it was very graphic. Again, that's never yeah. really been my thing. Yeah, it seemed like there, there were women in the 80s, the early 80s, late 70s, who were not that. The, you know, Rita Rudner, um, well, you know, Elaine Boozler, but I mean, it was not, yeah, it sort of took a shift to uh, sort of a com- competing with men. Yeah. To, uh, to sort of be like, you know, we got balls too. Yeah. Our vagina is as powerful as a cock. Yeah, yeah. And then I'd be like, you know, growing up. <laughs> yeah. But there's still like a funny story. There's always room for that. Like, <laughs> but so, so it worked out though. You didn't end up, you know, uh, you know, schlepping to. Well, the funny thing is one of my little routines, I did this uh, uh, raging, uh, raging bullwinkle was like one of my little cute routines. Yeah. And I got to do that for De Niro. So that was fun. Did like, you laugh? Yeah. Marty would like make me do it. Everything I did was stupid. My ro- I used to do my routines for my roommates. Yeah. And, and, it was my still my friend, and yeah. he's like, "Okay, this is always the part of your comedy that it's like it's not funny, but somehow you think it's funny, and then you coerce the audience." Well, that's what that's all comedy is. You got to commit, yeah, into 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 laughing. But, but that's, it's so weird though, because comedy is antithetical almost to you know what were you learning at the playhouse in yeah. a way. I mean, you know, it, it requires you to, to to be in a very contrived moment most of the time, you yeah, know, in a scripted moment with a very specific you know agenda to make yeah. those people laugh yeah that's what i didn't like about it. and the yeah. whole like talking to the mic and like where are you guys from and it seemed fake to me i i wasn't that was the part of it i i didn't like so i used to memorize my jokes and come out and i would act as if they were coming off the top of my well, head that's what you gotta do yeah and also like for me like you know when moments happen that don't happen that you know you couldn't anticipate those are always the best yeah like crowd work or any sort of like weirdness that happens in the room or just like breaking down on stage i don't know if you were in it long enough to fucking wow. lose your mind on stage <laughs> no so when you okay so let's 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 sort of you know wrap it up a bit so when you when you hit the wall you went back to new york and you you went through some sort of thorough you know uh realization or 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 humbling you know what 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 was it what did you get at that 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 enabled you to move forward with with uh, an open heart again well i i mean again i i I went. I seriously was like, I am going to do a rewind. I'm going to go all the way back to Neighborhood Playhouse. I'm going to go back to like simplifying 
everything and just like take you know taking acting class taking dance class i'm going to go back to because i had sort of it sounds cliche but like when you get you know we work so hard to become successful right but there is no class about staying successful Mm -hmm. and like to me that is always that weird you're there and you think okay well this is now great i've achieved i'm like riding in limos i'm doing movies and you don't know how quickly like that disappears right and and, because everything you work on is like becoming successful right but like so i just decided in my own way to do a rewind of like i'm gonna go back to when i was happiest and i knew myself because i sort of felt like i didn't really know who i was anymore so i went back to like i'm gonna take acting class i'm gonna start i'm gonna do i'm gonna do everything i haven't done for 10 years yeah because i i knew who i was yeah i knew that i had left the playhouse that I knew who I was, that I did these movies, that then I got involved with, you know, Martin Scorsese, and then my, and then I was like, I, I'm a, I don't know what's happening <laughs> anymore. Right. Like it all just, got away from. I me. just worked, and, and then I went to L.A., and then I married, and that didn't work out, and I was like, but I don't know, uh, I don't know what my goals are anymore. I don't know, you know, my goals up to that point were like, be successful get a house with a pool, get married, you know, like, yeah. but none of those worked out. Right. So I was like, okay, we'll go back to the beginning mm-hmm. and, and start from scratch. And so when I went, when I went back, which was like a difficult process, I went back to like, I, I sort of, you know, reconnected with what, you know, what had happened to me over, uh, you know, when, right before I had, um, you know, been in Goodfellas and some of those movies. I did theater, mm-hmm. which was really tough. You know, like you, you know, again, people were really tough on me, and and, and there's a lot of pride too invested. You know, like in order to sort of say, no, I have to not necessarily start over, but like it's very hard for people, especially in troll culture, tabloid culture, where you know they're just going to like, ah, look at her. You know, she fucking failed. She's like, you know, desperate now, right? You, did you get that shit? Oh yeah. I mean, to this day, I mean, we all we all do. But I I feel like again, you you transcend that just by longevity. Everything to Absolutely. me in show business is longevity. My grandfather won an Oscar. He was eighty one years old. You know, right? But also like the pride, you know, the taking, you know, that realization. Like when I started the podcast too, is that you know you've got to assess who you are. In, in real terms. Yeah. And, and and that's heartbreaking. Yeah. Initially. Initially it is because you I think you wonder is is you know, but it goes back to what I was saying, like yeah. dare to be dull. Right. Is what I have enough, you know yeah. what I mean? Um and and then but starting over again to me, I mean, I don't recommend it necessarily, but I'm a much better person now than i ever was you know 20 years ago like you, the, you were able to sort of bring it back down to what was important you know like uh, in terms of being in connection with other people and your life and all that. yeah i have to be a person that is without cynicism mm-hmm. i have to be mm-hmm. i can't have grudges like i have to approach that is the person who i am i can't mm-hmm. i can't be angry at anybody i've got to like approach movies and art and people with like uh, complete sincerity that mm-hmm. that's that's who I am, um, and I and I also had to like figure out because I knew I wanted to be writing and directing and mm-hmm. doing comedy again. So I had to find my you know my voice yeah. of like what what was my lick, what was going to be my 
wheelhouse yeah. of stuff that I was going to talk about in yeah. which I would never run out yeah. um, of, of talking about that. And I think that, again, I found that. It's like that person who's like trying to fit in or, you know, I, I relate to people like that. And I yeah. think it is maybe more like a, a lower, you know, I don't even know if we use that phrase anymore, lower middle class, mm-hmm. like a kind of blue collar. Uh, I, I identify with that. Yeah. I, I identify with like, you know, I identify with people that, that take their lunch pail and yeah. and go to work. Right. I, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I'm not cynical about that yeah. at all. Yeah. And I don't, what I don't like in our society is the, is the cynical nature of, of people. And sometimes like I come across to people like, okay, for real, yeah. knock off the crap, you know, but it's like, that is who, that's who, who I, who I am. That's, that's. I have to kind of be that that, and person. you feel you feel grounded. That see, there's a yep. difference between you know being grounded and being guarded. Yes, and and it seems to me that you've sort of arrived at like a, a level of self acceptance that you know you, you're you're not your vulnerability or your openness is is something that's it's grounded and you're you're not so you're not going to be prone. You have self acceptance, so you're not going to be taken advantage of or hurt. And, yeah, and, because I think that anyone who's funny is like funny, but then they've got something underneath sure. that they're too afraid of to really. Re- and then after a while, like again, you just finally meld it. And I know, like for instance, when I was doing this, I just did this show for for TCM called Second Looks and it's about taking a second look at movies that we saw when we were you know when we were kids and it really it it took off more than almost anything I've ever usually everything I do is like well that was a brilliant failure and uh, I've kind of accepted that yeah 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 it was really big in France (laughs) but 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 that doesn't that doesn't always or you know hardly ever speak to your work in it necessarily it's just the, the whatever the project was well I think we would all like mainstream acceptance Sure. Not not so much to for mainstream acceptance, but because it gives me the ability to to have the power to 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 work to do what I really want to do. Sure, which is becoming harder and harder. Yeah. Um. I mean, I feel like we're in vaudeville these days with like <laughs> in the know? garage. Yeah, yeah. This is it. This is a vaudeville stop. I mean, I just worked mm. in Sweden. I'm like, okay, I guess I'm gonna go have to work in Sweden. That's because... kind of cool, though. No, it's amazing. But it's like, what you do in Sweden? I did this uh, show called Welcome to Sweden. It's something that Amy Poehler is producing and Will Ferrell is in it and all these. It's a co-Lena Olin. It's a co-Swedish-American production mm-hmm. um, that will be aired in, in Swedish television, but then they'll also sell to Netflix and well, yeah, it's like exciting. That. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a, amazing. I mean, I, it, well, instead of vaudeville, let's just look at it as uh, diversified and fragmented. That you have to go find opportunities, you know, in the weirdest places, you know, just because they're 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 opportunities. Yeah, and they're they're not. I don't think there's a tier of them. They all seem sort of unique. I mean, that's a very unique experience uh, to to go work with those people in Sweden. There's one. It's one way to look at it. That like back when there was three you know channels on television, and there was only you know, and there was big movies, and then movies nobody saw. Right. It's a world you know now it's sort of like well people will find that you know they will yeah but what what's interesting is that they wouldn't be able to do that it, it'll be bought by america mm-hmm. but that america wouldn't finance it in the first place yeah, like they had to go get the money i like how you talk about america as a corporation that will not finance certain things <laughs> well america it, it kind That's of true. It, you know it is it's, it's a cultural corporation yeah mm-hmm. of like what is you know it's mm-hmm. all it's like what is acceptable what sure. is not acceptable what who you are like they're just going to define you know we're in these all these little narrow boxes like yeah. if you were going up for casting and something you know what 
who you are versus what you would be cast at. <laughs> it's like a freak show. I mean, like sometimes like the things that like, I'm like audition for that. Like, is that what they think of me? Like, that's, <laughs> that like, that whole part of the business where it's sort of like, you know, how agents and managers function in it. And, you know, w- you know, we were just looking for love and you assume these people like you and that they're working yeah. for you. And, and then you have that moment where you're like, oh, my God, they're trying to fit me into things. You know, this is their last attempt at you know, getting me. Well, they the- don't. They don't. To me, it's like they don't. You need to find the thing that people are going to identify you at. And that's very difficult these days. And so, again, like when I was doing um the Turner show, mm-hmm. I got to write it. Mm-hmm. I got to talk about movies that I loved. Uh, some of them obscure, you know, I get to talk about, you know, Mickey one from 1965 and Warren Beatty plays a comic. And I, so yeah. I was able to take, uh, my vast movie knowledge and everything and put it into this show and also make it funny and entertaining and informative. And I didn't have to dumb it down. And weirdly what ended up happening was it was like first time in my career, it was the actual representation of me. Right. I, that's never happened. And you knew before. that. I knew that. Yeah, it's a good feeling. It took it only took twenty years. Well, but look, I, that's what happened to me in the garage. I mean, you know, who the hell knows? Like, thank God it happened. Yeah. Yeah. I so, mean, you could have gone the other. You could have lost yourself more. Well, no, right? Because then once you have that, you once you, people actually you understand who you are, yeah. then you can then they, you can go. Oh, okay, I see that guy as a cop. I see him as a teacher. But up until then, you're in this like she's that weird. <laughs> quirky girl <laughs> i don't know you know like yeah. i don't know what it's okay to grow up it's so funny because like when i did your show and i was playing me but yeah. the but whenever i'm asked to be me i'm always not, it's not me it's right. always like the me that the tv thinks i am right is is much like dirtier and it's so funny to me yeah 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 i try i mean i don't say anything negative about people that's always like right, my thing. right you just be honest even in private yeah for the first time ever, I actually said something in private, yeah, negative about yeah. someone, yeah. And the next day, people were like, "I can't believe that so and so is like that." And I was like, "You know, I've, I've now I feel bad. Now I know." I, I don't like saying negative. There's a whole things. culture of people that are just waiting for people to misstep, for them to say something that they can take out of context and use as, you know, uh, sort of to feed a fire that may right. or may not exist. There's just a bunch of fucking fire starters out there. And everything, you know, we, we, everyone has easy access yeah. you know, to, to, to sort of make trouble. It's it's a tricky world to navigate. Yeah. And there's definitely an argument for just sort of like, I'm turning that shit off. I just want yeah. to live my fucking life. You know, when I think about the amount of time I spend on Twitter for no fucking reason other than to be like, what's happening? How come that, is that guy saying that? Why is he saying that to me? Yeah, it's just like, oh my God. I know, you could really, or in the end up saying something, you know. Oh, I mean, God. imagine like, you know, Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin. I bet none of these people They couldn't do anything, but they couldn't do anything. You can't do anything in your life. They just they punch can't. someone. Right. And then somebody covers it up. Yeah, you can't. I like that. Yeah, right. <laughs> the world, that world is gone. I know. Sad. I miss that world. Yeah. I want, I want like the world of yeah, like where people can live weird you know uh, lives and you don't hear about it for twenty years. No, I mean I, I in my opinion I prefer that. Yeah. Like I don't want to know about hard. people's privacy is hard backstory. I just yeah. want to see them in the movie. Exactly. And... Yeah, I, I I feel that way too. Like something changed once entertainment news started, it was over. 
I mean, yeah. tabloids were one thing, but once sort of like behind the scenes became as, if not more compelling than what was on the screen, it, yeah. the fucking party was over. Well, it ruins the, it ruins the narrative stories because it, yeah. it makes it, you know, it makes it really hard then to tell a story because you, you, but I have faith in audiences. I, I, because sure. my whole writing is about that. I, I have to, I have faith that people are not as cynical and as snarky as they want to be but somehow we're in a society right now where people are so embarrassed to have feelings they're so it's like their worst fear is to be humiliated Mm -hmm. you know um and it's like if you can write stuff about people that are humiliated (laughs) that's sort of my thing of like wearing your heart on your sleeve that's right yeah own it I like yeah. that. No, I and that's too. how movies used to be. I don't yeah. know. Again, everything now is like sort of goal driven. Yeah. Or you have to be really dirty, which again, I don't know. I'm old fashioned. But when I grew up, you always heard from comedians that that was a crutch. Yeah. And now it's like, yeah. if you're not, you know, when I read TV stuff, I go, how would I write for that? Because yeah. I don't want to write graphic uh, sexual stuff because I just don't think it's funny. Well, it's a little cheap, and it also comes back around to that idea that you said that uh, that uh, Pinter said to you that you know the the idea of perversion, you know, a true pervert is somebody that you know perverts in order to avoid feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, and and you said that in a broad way; it wasn't a sexual thing, but the the idea of perversion yeah. is to avoid, you know, what's under it. And I yeah. think that that's sort of the culture we live in. But I don't know what, I mean, again, like I, somebody out there can tell me like why we can't have the story without the graphic sexual you content. Can. You can, people do it. Sure, they do. I mean, Noah Birnbach just made that movie, Francis Ha. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are people that make movies that are, you know, uh, you know Anderson uh, Wes and uh, Paul Thomas. You know, I, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of people doing, you know, smart shit. Mm-hmm. It's just like there's, you know, alternative mainstream. Yeah, but, you know, you can do whatever you want. And the great thing about what we're talking about now in the same way that things have become so fragmented is that you can find an audience for things. So instead of comparing yourself to that, Mm -hmm. this thing you're talking about, you just do what you do and put it out in the world, you know, and do, you know, use the tools that we have technologically to put it out in the world and go there. Right. Let it find its audience. Right. This is what I, you know, this is my thing. You know, it's not that thing. Just stop comparing yourself to that thing. Yeah, that's a a tough one. But I do, (laughs) I, especially when, you know, there's like shows where you have to sign there was a show, I think it still is on, like HBO or Showtime anyway, but like as an actress, you'd have to sign, even before you went into an audition, right. yeah. that you know you would do full frontal nudity. Really? Oh, yeah, it was like, yeah. like I wouldn't do that on a date. Like, it's like imagine. <laughs> That's not happening for like, two months. Be like, <laughs> yeah. I got this, I really liked him, and then I suddenly I got this piece of paper. It says, you will agree to full frontal nudity. That's like, before the audition. That's ridiculous. Yeah, and and um, so that's a, like a dangerous to me. That's a that's that is you know that is past the slippery slope. Well, you just got to do your own thing, and you're doing it. That's right. I'm doing it. <laughs> okay, I'm doing it right now. Yeah. Well, it you was good talking it. to you. It's good talking to you. Thanks for coming over. Thank you. That's our show, folks. I hope you enjoyed that. It was a pleasure doing it for you. I love her. I thought it was fun. 
she's a, she's a character, and uh, I appreciate her coming down. Um, as I said, we got three shows this week. On Wednesday, we're going to have The Figs, one of my uh, favorite uh, bands. They're going to play some pop music and talk to me. Uh, it was kind of a clusterfuck. There were three of them. There were instruments, but, uh, but we had a good time. On Friday, the inimitable Barry Crimmins, one of the great political satirists who is, uh, who is off the grid up in upstate New York. I was able to sit down with him for a bit in a hotel room when I was up there. And as always, go to WTFPod.com for all your WTF Pod needs. We've got new posters. Uh, more ceramic mugs are on the way. If you're wondering why I don't have many gigs uh, scheduled out in the world, it's because I'm in production. Uh, I'm going to be shooting Marin uh, for the next couple months. I'll try to get out. I'm out and around in L.A. I'm sorry if I don't post those because they're, they're sort of week to week. Um, I usually tweet them. If you're not following me on Twitter, you probably should. At Mark Marin, one word. You know how it goes. Uh, if you're not on Twitter, uh, try it. You know what I mean? First time's always free. Dig? Dig what I'm saying, man? Only you will know whether or not you will go down the rabbit hole of Twitter. Boomer lives!